Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 15 Waiver Wire Edition. Happy Week 15. If you're listening, this is a decent chance you made your you made your fantasy playoffs, and you should be applauded for that. So two claps to you and all those playoff teams that we still have alive and kicking. Now let's go finish the job and win some championships. Joining me as always in this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, PFF's finest all-around baller, the gangster himself, Nathan Yonke. What's up, Nate? Hey, speaking of congratulations, I wanted to congratulate you as well. We did a number of best ball drafts this summer, and I feel like almost half of the ones we did here in Manzingen. So congrats on having a number of good best ball drafts this summer. Appreciate that, Nate. I think I have eight bullets in the um, final best ball mania three tournament going on. I had a 36 entry. So it was like a 22% advance rate. So we will take that. And man, I already can't, I mean, just dynasty. I was thinking the other day, like dynasty was maybe my least favorite form of fantasy. And I think in, that is 100% directly tied to. I'm not as successful in Dynasty as I am in other fantasy leagues because I am in a couple of Dynasty playoffs. And I was like, man, if I could ever win one of those championships, it'd probably become like my uh, favorite you know, overnight. I will say the best ball, just the, the way that industry has boomed over the past few years. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nate, just drafting is the most fun part of fantasy. And that's why we continue to love uh, to be sponsors and working with fine folks over at underdog fantasy. So got to love that, but obviously still got a lot more work to do in season long land, of course. So today's agenda, guys, I understand that a lot of leagues maybe don't even have the waiver wire going on over these past, over these next three weeks. At least that's how it is in the FFPC championship. We're also hoping to take, take home some gold. So brief waiver wire section. We got Nathan's five ads that you can always find on PFF.com. One to go through my week 14 sheesh report and then we're gonna give you guys a quick breakdown on all the injuries that happened and my goodness the injury gods really did pick a specific week to go try to do their best to f us all over i mean nate i know like james connor came back but that game last night man as someone i know you're grinding you know everyone sees your usage notes and you're grinding like every single game i can't imagine i cannot remember a more rough like first 20 minutes of a game than last night can you Uh, No, I can't. Like I was talking with our editor and I'm like, okay, I can probably write the article by halftime because it'll just be okay. This guy got injured. This is how they reacted. So by the end of the third quarter, I was pretty much done and good to go. But really, it was terrible to see all those injuries and especially Kyler with how long he's going to be out for now. I think I've gotten better over the years at, you know, not letting crushing fantasy or real life fandom like completely blow up my evening or days. Cause hey, in our industry, Nate, you got to kind of put that aside and get back to the goal at hand that usually being, you know, more and more fantasy content. But I was at a, at a bar last night with a future Mrs. Tits and we were just hanging out and I was in a great mood. Everything was going well. I had my corn dogs, my pretzel appetizer, just one of my favorite places, uh, Nate. And then that Kyler injury happened and I became a dickhead for the next three hours i was not fun to be around i completely let that ruin my evening so i will be try i will try to be better on that in the future but enough about that guys let's get this podcast on the road starting off with my week 14 sheesh report as always you can find my weekly fantasy fallout column over at pff always free as well uh for you over there trying to save a dollar or two so first of all the sheesh of the week goes to justin jefferson and i hear you 223 yards tough 
to be overly, you know, concerned, mad, or anything about that performance. But man, in the fourth quarter, he should have had a 71 yard touchdown. I mean, they showed the replay 10 times. This dude did not go out of bounds, but they said he did for only a 39 yard game. I don't know why the officials felt the need to blow the play dead. They could have easily gone back after the touchdown, which is automatically reviewed all the time and figured it out from there. But alas, they didn't. And yes, Kirk Cousins did find KJ Osborne for a touchdown at the end of that drive. But man, could have been an extra 51 seconds. That's certainly the Vikings fans would have, would have appreciated having there at the end of that game. So Justin Jefferson feasibly, guys, could have added an additional 32 yards and a touchdown to his day. I will also note that Trevor Lawrence absolutely balling despite not always having the best assistance from his receivers on the year. Now, Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen, top two quarterbacks in the league in terms of most total drops at their expense. So Zay Jones almost had a 40 yard touchdown down the middle of the field. I'm not going to blame him for this one because I thought the Titans corner was real hands. He kind of pulled him back. But T-Law, man, hit him in the freaking chest somehow. Next play, it throws a dot that hits Marvin Jones basically in the head as he gets interfered and then he finishes off the drive literally on his next throw with another complete dime to Evan Ingram. So just an incredible performance from Trevor Lawrence that, again, could have been even bigger. Zay Jones, he did get that big day, but he had an even more egregious touchdown drop earlier in that game that should have scored from 21 yards out. Really rough day at the office from Tom Brady. We've talked about this on this podcast this season where Tom Brady, I've said it several times, not 2015 Peyton, not 2020 Drew Brees in terms of arm strength. But if you had only watched him play on Sunday and heard me say that, you probably think I'm a liar. So truly, guys, that was the worst performance I've seen from Brady this season from an arm strength uh, arm strength perspective. I mean, Mike Evans from nine yards out, Scotty Miller from 44 yards out, Julio Jones from 69 yards out, all had more than enough separation where they should have scored with not even a perfect pass, man, just a good ball. Brady could not get the ball downfield enough. Skip basically all three of those in. And instead of getting three touchdowns added to the score sheet, we are here. Sheeshan also had in that same game, Mike Evans actually catch a 68-yard touchdown. No one felt the need to guard him on there. I'm not going to say it was a fantastic play by anyone involved, but hey, 68-yard touchdown is a 68-yard touchdown. Unfortunately, Donovan Smith had another holding penalty. If you guys remember two weeks ago, it was Donovan Smith who had the hold when Chris Godwin's touchdown got nullified. Donovan Smith, noted fantasy football hater, also had a nullified touchdown from Jamal Agnew on that Jaguars defense special team. 98 yards to the house, wiped out by a holding penalty. Five registered official drop touchdowns on the week. Dalton Schultz from 15 yards out. Donovan Peoples-Jones from four yards out. I mentioned the Zay Jones potential 25-yarder. Nick Westbrook-Akini failed to catch a two-yard touchdown, but Tannehill went back to him the very next play, so seldom seen reverse sheesh. And then Travis Kelsey dropped a wide-open 10-yard touchdown. So those were the official ones. Now, I did think there were three other ones that Probably warranted treatment in this section. Amari Cooper, literally before that Donovan Peoples-Jones play, also dropped a touchdown. And that was the thing with the Sean Watson guys. I mean, you look at that game. They ended a drive where Donovan Peoples-Jones dropped that four-yard touchdown. Cooper had a chance to catch it the play before. Cooper did register a drop, actually. I think it was on their final play when it was fourth and four, trying to drive down again. Then they had the drive killer earlier in the game where Jacoby Brissett missed an open Donovan Peoples-Jones on a fourth and one little trick play. So, yes, I know they only scored 10 points, but those 10 points were were a hell of a lot more impressive than the 24 points we saw against the Texans that were all mostly scored by the defense. I think it was actually 27, so excuse me there. But final note here, Michael Gallup, 
I thought had a drop on a two-yard potential touchdown. Luckily, Zeke scored the next play, wasn't officially charged with it. And then Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin didn't get registered with the drop because the target ended up going to Russell Gage on one of the crazier plays you'll see where the ball hit Godwin in the chest. He dropped it, but Russell Gage then caught it. And then I didn't even think he scored, Nate. I thought he was down short of the goal line, but you know, NFL said, screw it. It's already 35-0. Go ahead and get your touchdown. Three defensive pass interference penalties wiped out what otherwise had a good chance of being touchdowns. George Pickens from seven yards out. Jerry Judy actually got loose deep. Russ kind of underthrew it, but then he more or less got tackled coming back to the ball. So at a minimum, would have cleared 100 yards without that DPI. And then Tyler Croft over the 49ers had some separation for an eight-yard score, but also got pass interfered with. Some other pass catchers who could have potentially scored with a more accurate pass. Michael Gallup early got wide open deep for a potential 68-yard score. Rare, bad underthrow by Dak. John Brown, Smokey, actually beat Sauce Gardner deep downfield and probably could have scored a 51-yard touchdown. Josh Allen underthrowing a game that he wasn't at his best. DJ Moore, potential four-yard fade, never had a chance. Tyreek Hill, multiple, man, 72 and 82-yard house calls potentially. Not come to fruition when Tua, unfortunately, couldn't get the ball out deep enough. Not trying to be a Tua hater here. With Tyreek, man, I think any quarterback, like, he, no corner in the league can stay in front of Tyreek, so, like, every single deep ball of Tyreek is hard not to be like, well, I think he probably could have scored with a more accurate pass, but obviously not the easiest thing to hit, you know, the fastest guy in the league when he's that far downfield sometimes. And also would note Miles Sanders and Devontae Smith had good enough passes to haul in 20-plus yard chunk gains, but just couldn't quite get there from Jalen Hurts. And maybe the one that hurt the most for uh, people out there, Nate, Pretty down game for DeAndre Hopkins with the fumble. I mean, still had seven catches for 79 yards, but on that interception at the end, I mean, that corner was biting hard on under on the underneath stuff. Hopkins was wide open for what should have probably been a walk and 40-yard touchdown. Colt McCoy, unfortunately, far too much pressure. Couldn't deliver an accurate pass. Finally, guys, two more things real quick. Unrealized air yards. Mentioned Dalton Peoples-Jones, and we're going to talk about him more in a bit, but he dropped a touchdown. He had 132 unrealized air yards, easily the most of the week, and he still went over 100 yards. So it's a good game from DPJ. Like usually when you're topping the unrealized air yards list, you know, you didn't have a good game because you had all this missed opportunity. DPJ still over 100 yards with plenty of meat left on the bone. Surprising to see that. And finally, these players were stopped at the one-yard line and did not score a touchdown on the same drive. Saquon Barkley, Travis Etienne, Ezekiel Elliott, Deontay Foreman, Jeff Driscoll, Chris Moore, and then Cam Akers and Austin Eckler had receptions down to the one-yard line, so they could have given Baker and uh, Justin Herbert touchdowns, and then they wound up scoring themselves on rushing touchdowns. So not the worst thing for Akers and Eckler managers, but obviously is for Herbert and Baker managers. And with that, everyone, we are moving past week 14, focusing now on the fantasy playoffs. appreciate you guys rolling with the shishas here as we do every single week. So, Nate, as always, on PFF.com, you have your five-to-add article. Again, no big waiver wire breakdown this week because it's week 15. I kind of hope you got your squad mostly together at this point. But the number one player to add is going to be the man coming off a hell of a week 14, Chiefs running back Jarek McKinnon, caught seven passes for 112 yards and a pair of touchdowns in the Chiefs week 14 victory over the Broncos. And with McKinnon and with uh, Isaiah Pacheco, we talked about it like we neither guy necessarily has this three down workhorse usage role that we can always rely on. But Nate, even if we don't have that, it's a two back committee in the league's number one scoring offense. These are the sorts of things that can happen when you are a full time, not a full time player, but even when you're a part time player in this good of an offense. Uh, yeah, the big thing is it's down to a two-back committee rather than three-back. Ronald Jones was not involved at all in the offense. 
Uh, we've seen consistency with McKinnon in terms of his role as the receiving back. That's been true the entire season. Also something that's been nice with him is they've trusted him in goal line and short yards, yarded situations, which typically isn't true of a receiving back. So he's always had that kind of upside. But the big thing in this game is he played half of the snaps on early down. So was playing half the time when it was just a normal first or second down. So it's something where last year we saw him see an increased role throughout the season. It's kind of been a fluid situation throughout the year. So I could very well see it going in the other direction where maybe McKenna goes back to not seeing quite as much playing time. But it's also something where he played so well this game, he could see even more playing time in these upcoming weeks. So maybe not someone I'm comfortable starting this upcoming week, but someone that I definitely want on my roster in case this role continues to expand. I know he's been someone that we've talked about a lot looking ahead to the fantasy playoffs because of how good that schedule is. And Houston, Seattle, and then another spot against Denver in week 17. To your point, I mean, I'm not feeling great about starting him this week. We don't have any teams on by this time around. And, you know, you start going through the ranks and he is going to profile as more of a low-end RB3, I believe, when everything is said and done. But once again, Texans, Seahawks, Broncos in this offense. Certainly, I don't know if he's going to have another game quite as good as he did in week 14, but certainly someone that, hey, if you need to put it in the flex, worst options out there, and that handcuff upside really going underrated. Talked about him earlier, but Cleveland Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones coming off that eight-catch, 114-yard game, again, with a ton of meat left on the bones. So with Deshaun Watson, I know it's easy to look at the overall offensive points scored, which is, what, 16 at this point, and just say that he's been terrible. And he truly was abysmal against the Houston Texans, but really did seem to snap out of it to an extent last week against the Bengals. And looking ahead now, we got a Ravens secondary and Nate. I was working on my quarterback uh, column before the show, and this is our arguably the single worst group in the league against the deep ball. And I know that we've had, okay, the Dolphins game back in week three or whatever. There's been a few performances where good passing attacks have really uh, opened things up here, but man, it's week 15. Like I kind of think that, you know, any like bad one game blips on the radar would kind of be factored out right now. And with that man on passes thrown 20 plus yards downfield, they are dead last in yards per attempt, explosive pass play rate and EPA allowed per pass play. So talk to people about Don Peoples Jones and what we're expecting moving forward. Sure, we saw career highs in terms of receptions, receiving yards. I played 100% of the offensive snaps for the first time in his career. He's been pretty close in a number of games, but this is the first time he hit 100. Uh, they threw to him deep five times in this game, which is more than any other Browns receiver in a game this season, so they were at least attempting to get him the ball deep. Only connected on one of those passes, but ideally in this game and in future games, they're able to connect more on passes. So we've been saying this for a while with Peoples-Jones, once Watson's at quarterback, he likes throwing the ball deep. He made Will Fuller a big thing in Houston for a number of years, and Peoples-Jones is basically Will Fuller 2.0 for Watson. And the Browns have the fifth easiest schedule for wide receivers over the rest of the season, so definitely someone that could contribute and potentially in a big way these next couple games. I'm just trying to shed myself of, you know, more tears spent over Will Fuller not playing the season and you're bringing him up. And then we got Chris Moore going bonkers over a hundred yards wearing number 15 for the freaking Houston Texans. So Will Fuller, man, 
get better, whatever the hell you're doing, man. At least you gave us uh, that fun Thanksgiving game, what seems like 30 years ago. With DPJ, Nate, I mean, I did my first run of my rankings last night, so they're definitely going to change a bit as the week goes on and we you know, learn more information, go through our articles and all that. But like Donovan Peoples-Jones versus Gabriel Davis, I think, is a very legit question, and it's not something that necessarily uh, we would have thought would have been on the radar. I mean, DPJ versus guys like Gabriel Davis, like Deontay Johnson, Zay Jones, Drake London – I kind of favor the Browns' number two wide receiver, Nate. And honestly, the way Amari Cooper is playing through this hip injury, it's not impossible for Dom Peoples-Jones to lead this team in receiving the rest of the way. Oh, yeah. And opponents that Cleveland faces, a lot of them are good against tight ends as well. So that might be bad news for David Njoku, which is good news for Peoples-Jones. And that could mean Peoples-Jones is seeing even more of these targets. Good point, my friend. All right, number three waiver wire priority ad is going to be Detroit Lions wide receiver DJ Chark, fresh off 94 yards and a touchdown against the Vikings. He's looked good ever since coming back from that injury. Now, the first game back really just only had him play a handful of snaps, but he has been unleashed and been a full-time starter here over these last three weeks of action. And that's kind of par for the course with Detroit. They did the same thing with Josh Reynolds, and they appear to be doing that with Jamison Williams. And I guess the note here with Chark, Nate would be that while Jamison Williams, it would make sense if he's more involved down the stretch as he continues to get more comfortable and they continue to be more comfortable with his health. I mean, Chark's the one that they added with the $10 million offseason deal. He's been a really good when he's been active this season. I tend to think that if Jamison is going to displace anyone in this three wide receiver uh, starting formation, it would be Josh Reynolds. Thoughts on Chark the rest of the way? Uh, yeah, he was someone last week where I'm like, okay, good for you. You had a good game last week. Let's see you do it again. And then he did do it again. And we did see with Jamison Williams seeing more offensive snaps. It was in place of Josh Reynolds at times. So I don't think, I think it'll be Reynolds that I'll see more of a decrease in snaps. I do agree with you that I think Chark will be the one staying as a full-time receiver going forward. And the schedule isn't excellent the rest of the way, but it is above average for wide receivers. So definitely if you're hurting at wide receiver, if you're one of the teams that was hurt by someone suffering an injury that might not play this upcoming week. I think Chuck's someone who can definitely step in and have some nice upside. Number four, we have our first and only quarterback, Jets phenom international superstar Mike White, the most favorable fantasy playoff schedule. And Nate, you do have that in your article, but it's also something that we've been barking about here for the better part of the last three weeks. I mean, you get the Lions, the Jaguars, and the Seahawks. And not only are those bad defenses that we want to take advantage of, but with the way Goff, Lawrence, and even Geno Smith are playing, these are the perfect teams that we want to play in fantasy. They got the bad defense we can take advantage of, and they have a good enough offense offense to hopefully turn it into a back and forth shootout so with Mike White it does sound like he's going to be able to play through that painful injury Uh, I believe he even said today that he is ready to roll here for the week 15 matchup against the Lions so talk about Mike White expectations Nate because he actually came in as my QB 12 on this week which is a hell of a uh, rise for a guy that wasn't starting you know this time a month ago Uh, yeah he ranks second in terms of passing yards over the past three weeks with 952 And like you said, those three opponents are great, not just for him, but for the entire offense. Uh, Two of those three teams are among the top ones in points allowed just in general this season. And all three of them are within the top six in terms of total yards allowed to offenses this season. So it's great. Uh, Pick up Jets players, uh, not just White, but basically anyone in the offense. And you can probably consider starting them since I think the Jets will be able to put up not just yards, but plenty of points this week and these next three weeks. 
I know uh, yesterday or Sunday was Mike White's like statistically worst performance of the season, but I've never been more impressed with uh, what he brought to the table. I mean, level of competition matters, guys. It's why when Tua was going absolutely bonkers, yes, we gave him credit. And you, sh- if you're really good at your job or you're playing quarterback, you should beat up on teams that are really bad at their job. That said, seeing him against the Bills get knocked out not once but twice and then still find a way to return the game. I mean, that second hit he took absolutely crushed and still found a way way to thread the ball downfield to Elijah Moore. So again, early on in the small sample, it looked like Mike White was really just more so taking advantage of constant check downs, maybe against some middling defenses out here. I mean, you got the Bears and Vikings the first two games of this year, and even last year in some of those blowups. Yes, we did have a couple of nice performances, and then he faced the Bills last year, last year and threw four picks. So no, not a complete finished product yet, but Mike White really on the up and up. And hey, Nate, I know you usually do your rankings after the show, but QB 12 for Mike White, it sounds crazy. And maybe you folks listening over there do think I'm crazy. But once you start going into that tier, it's like, okay, we got Mike White in a potential shootout against the Lions. And like the guys I have after him, Kirk Cousins against a really good Colts defense, Jared Goff against a far tougher defense on the other sideline in the New York Jets, Sauce Gardner and company. Tyler Huntley, if he can get out there, pretty good spot against the Browns. But obviously we have questions about the ability of this passing game. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Matt Ryan. Like, it gets thin pretty fast out there, man. So Mike White, legit, not just, I think, a streamer that you can look at and say, oh, he's probably the best guy mostly available. Like, Nate, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike White is legitimately leading some people with their fantasy championships. What a time to be alive. Concluding things here with the number five recommended ad of the week. Another guy we've been talking about for weeks on end, so hopefully you guys already have him, but New York Jets tight end Tyler Conklin with the easiest schedule for tight ends here ahead of weeks 15 through 17. So, no, we haven't gotten any booms recently, but Nate, his uh, targets and route participation were on the up and up last week. Oh, yeah, he's had a fairly stable role in the offense. I know CJ Uzoma is also there, but Conklin's been the consistent receiving tight end for the past several weeks at this point. Um, he was targeted eight times, so he is getting thrown the ball plenty, and he has had a couple of games with over 75 yards, so he is capable of having these big games. So um, combine the schedule with his opportunities, and I think he'll be one of the better tight ends over the rest of the season. Just the fact he can boom. I mean, he's the tight end 12 on the season, Nate. And he had, I mean, he has two finishes inside the top 10 all year long. That's all you need at tight end. Evan Ingram is our tight end four on the season. Just consistent week to week, Evan Ingram, you know, never, never booming until he freaking takes over the slate. I kid, I kid. But yes, with Conklin, again, we've seen him have that top three upside. And CJ Izoma is a bit involved, but Conklin still maintaining that route participation rate that we like to see at a high enough number for us to trust him. Fantasy land. So Nate's top five waiver wire additions of the week once again: Jarek McKinnon, Don from Peoples Jones, DJ Chark, Mike White, and Taylor Conklin. Also has some players that you're able to cut and some pl- players to potentially buy low on in Dynasty land. So great stuff as always, Nate. And with that, let's talk through some of the key injuries out there because again, as we discussed on the start of the show, absolutely brutal week for some of these injuries. So going to go through running backs, wide receivers, one tight end issue, and. Then quickly touch on some of the QBs because there are seven situations that are going to need to be monitored under center this week. So starting things off with Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins, someone that literally not to you know toot my own horn here, but saying on the Sunday night pod like, no, Dobbins did not look all the way back to me, and I specifically just said I think the normal healthy J.K. Dobbins would have scored on that big run he had, big hole right up the middle. And J.K. Dobbins himself echoed that statement, saying I'm still not in shape that I need to be in because I would have never gotten caught. So hey. 
Nate, you know what? If 80, 90% JK Dobbins can still run for 120 yards, like that's fine. Who cares if he's at hundred percent or not at that point, but I'm not all that confident. They're going to have that much success on the ground again. And I think hidden in that big performance by Dobbins was kind of what we expected. Nate talking about this situation, Gus Edwards, still plenty involved and Kenyon Drake, not going away. JK Dobbins for me. Okay. If you want to even slide him in as a low end RB two, you know, and these, those touchdowns, that's fine. But to me, Nate, it's the committee. It's a Baltimore Ravens offense that doesn't throw the ball to its running backs. And that's always even going into next year with a fully healthy JK Dobbins. That's always going to hold back these running backs in Baltimore. Oh uh, yeah, it was a committee, but we did see Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake basically play a couple snaps each. Um, all four running backs took like two snaps each on third downs, and that was their third down usage. And then everything else was Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So I would be okay with them, especially in games where you think that they're going to win the game. I think a lot of it will depend on the quarterback situation and how confident I am in him this week. If I think Baltimore can stay pretty competitive. As long as they can stay competitive, I think both Dobbins and Edwards will probably see double-digit carries each week. Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker did get a limited practice in on Monday. They don't actually practice on Mondays. They do these estimated participation reports. The NFL is so freaking stupid some of these times, but whatever. My issues with the concussion protocol and all this nonsense aside it is a good sign that he was listed as limited when we had dj dallas being listed as a did not practice so if kenneth walker is back this week he's someone that obviously is going to be in far more starting lineups than not we've seen what he can do with his usual workload of 15 to 20 touches in this rather awesome seahawks offense if not though nate it was a disappointing game for Travis Homer and god forbid any of you that listened to a certain national reporter and played tony jones out there if Kenneth Walker is against sideline Nate, it's a brutal short week matchup against the 49ers. Travis Homer played 91% of the snaps last week, though. And I know Wayne Gallman didn't get in that situation, and maybe he does now that he's had extra time to learn the offense. But assuming it is just Travis Homer and Tony Jones again, how high would you be willing to go with Travis Homer? Because that is the sort of usage that, again, we will have our Latavius Murray, our Kalen Balazs exceptions. We were joking about that before the show. But last night, doing the ranks, I mean, where did I end up with Homer? Awesome podcasting here. Apologies. Okay, I have him RB32 right next to Latavius Murray. So, no, it doesn't feel good. I'm not saying, like, yeah, RB32. He's not going to be starting in a lot of lineups out there, especially for a contender. But does that sound about right to you, Nate? Because, again, if you have that much volume, it's hard to drop you much lower. Uh, yeah, it is. But it's the 49ers defense who's been the best team against yeah. fantasy running backs all season. It's a short week where he just played nearly 100% of snaps and on three days rest after just having an injury. So, he might not see as much playing time up the short week. It's a great defense. They might fall behind early with how well the 49ers have been playing and just need to pass the ball a lot. So definitely not a ton of confidence in that situation. Get used to similar remarks from Nathan and myself with the rest of these injuries. This is not, you know, that was Zeke's down Tony Pollard top 10 RB season. This is a lot of, oh, these backups are probably going to be in a committee of sorts. And if they're not, it's going to be a tough matchup. We still shouldn't expect much from them. Hate to see it. And some good news, though, Bears running back Khalil Herbert does reportedly have a chance to play and return from IR in week 16. So David Montgomery featured back season here for at least another week. Week 16, those things could see the return of Khalil. 
Also, Damian Pierce with his ankle injury expected to miss one to two games with a quote unquote mild high ankle sprain, kind of an oxymoron there, but whatever, you know, it's, I'm not a doctor, obviously. So without Damian Pierce in the fold, Nate, we did see Rex Burkhead last year, put together some big, uh, at least one big performance down the stretch, uh, not multiple. Who, who, who the hell has had multiple big performances for the Texans uh, over the last few years, seemingly other than Brandon cooks. And I guess early season Damian Pierce, but we would not expect the same sort of featured role for Rex Burkhead, given Dario Goomba Wale is also in the fold. Now, they did also become the second team this season to wave Eno Benjamin. So it's not the biggest backfield, but again, man, it's a Texans offense facing the Chiefs. Thoughts on this backfield without Damian Pierce? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a little bit harder for Rex to have these huge games. Last week was the first time where he clearly did not have a third down role. For the past few weeks, they've kind of used multiple guys on third downs, where last week it was really just Dare taking the entire third down backfield. So I think Rex could see the majority of early down snaps, especially with, uh, you know, Benjamin gone. But I could very well see it being some kind of rotation on early downs as well, and especially in this Texans offense. That really isn't scoring that many points, probably another situation to not put, put too much stock in. They got the Chiefs this week. So, again, that's not exactly looking good. You can all wrap your minds around that. And then afterwards, we get the Titans, who we have seen time and time again, just really be a thorn in the side for pretty much anybody trying to get the ball moving on the ground. Patriots running back Ramondre Stevenson, unfortunately, had to leave early on Monday night with that ankle injury. We don't have exact, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen an update. I'm not sure if you have, Nathan, as we're recording this at 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday. Eastern time, of course, but with Stevenson potentially out of the picture, if Damian Harris comes back from that thigh injury, he could actually enter that low end RB2 conversation. I would not be nearly as confident of, you know, scratching out Stevenson's name in the top 10 and putting Harris there because I don't think they would give Harris the same sort of pass down work that Stevenson regularly gets. This week, let's see, the Patriots are going to be facing off against the Raiders. So great matchup here if we can figure out who is going to get the ball. What did you see from that new look Patriots committee last night, Nate, without Stevenson or Harris in the picture? Um, like I think Harris would probably be the guy if he's healthy on early downs, and I would definitely trust that against the Raiders. But without him, they used both of their rookies pretty extensively, um, not necessarily having one player have a huge role over the other. It kind of adjusted as the game went on. I also wouldn't be surprised if J.J. Taylor was activated off of the practice squad if both of their top running backs are out. And we saw Taylor have a decent role a couple weeks back coming off the practice squad. He had more offensive snaps than either rookie coming into this game, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was a three-man committee if both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson wasn't able to play. So I have a hard time trusting any of them in redraft formats, but I'd be perfectly happy taking a chance on some of them in DFS. Yeah, I see a little bit of Pierre Strong hype out there, but I just think it's going to be too muddled for everyone involved. Again, it's great that Ramondre Stevenson found a way to, you know, work his way up the depth chart. Plenty of injuries, help, whatever, got there. But let's face it, when was the last time we saw a Patriots running back get this sort of three-down roll? Pretty much never. Corey Dillon back in freaking 2003? I don't know. It has been so long. And yeah, we've had the LeGarrette Blunts, the Damon Harris's of the world, flirt with some big touchdown totals. We've had the James White, uh, Stephen Ridley's of the world, you know, go ahead and catch a bunch of targets time to time getting all that though is what you need to really be someone to be an auto start i don't expect any of those backups to get that role 
40, I'm sorry, Dolphins running back, caught myself there. Jeff Wilson, quote unquote, avoided the worst case scenario per Mike McDaniel in regards to his hip. However, we don't exactly know what that means in terms of his week 15, a possibility of playing. So if we do see Jeff Wilson out of the picture here, ahead of a winnable enough matchup against the Bills, who just haven't been quite the same monster on defense without Von Miller, makes sense. That said, Nate, Raheem Mostert, thoughts on where we will be firing him up if Jeff Wilson is out of the picture. I believe in my first week's rankings, it was still tough to get him out of that RB3 range. I mean, it's an offense that has been struggling a little bit as the competition has picked up over the past few weeks. And as much as Mostert has that one-hitter quitter speed, can go to the house at house call any second, we have seen them reluctant to give Mostert or really any of these running backs a true fantasy-friendly featured role. Where would you be ranking Mostert-ish in the grand scheme of things without Jeff Wilson? I think he could get pretty close to that RB2 range, but I don't think he'll quite get there. Um, it's an interesting situation in Miami since Mostert recently retook the starting role, played the first two drives of this game, then Jeff Wilson came in, played a little bit better, and played the next two drives, and he came in on a third drive after that, so it seemed like things were tilting back towards Wilson's direction. So I'm not sure they're fully confident in any of the running backs at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mostert starts the game. And if he starts playing well, he could have a huge game. But if he doesn't start playing well, we could see even more of some of these other backups. Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett confirmed that it doesn't look good for Mike Boone to return from this ankle injury. I'm not sure if he meant for week 15 or rest of the season, but it's the Broncos, guys. We've kind of been over this, especially with the running backs. Should be Latavius Murray and Marlon Mack here down the stretch. Also in Tennessee, we had Doncho Hilliard already get ruled out for week 15 with a neck injury. So maybe if something happens to Derrick Henry, we see Hassan Haskins or Julius Chestnut get going. But Nate, even going back, I mean, you're the king of preseason usage. It wasn't exactly like Hassan Haskins featured in the preseason. It was more so him and Chestnut splitting things up, right? Oh, yeah, they were definitely splitting things. I think they'll definitely choose one of them over the other to get some of the passing down work. But I think Derrick Henry will play a couple more snaps than usual, and that'll negate anything from either of the rookies. I drafted way too much uh, round 18 to Son Haskins for a little bit there over the summer in best ball land. Also took a lot of Deontay Foreman, though, and that one hasn't looked quite as bad in hindsight. Moving on to some wide receiver news. Good news on Debo Samuel. He could return reportedly as soon as week 17. The MCL and ankle sprain is not believed to be a high ankle issue. So Debo, keep him on those rosters if at all possible. Sounds like you might be able to get him back for championship Sunday. Also, Tyreek Hill with that ankle issue, quote unquote, just dealing with bumps and bruises per coach Mike McDaniel. So not thinking it's going to be something to keep him off the field. As we saw yesterday, you know, they're more than happy with taking Tyreek out for a snap or two here, put him back on the field. And oh yeah, he's the fastest human alive once again. More interesting situation is what's going on with T. Higgins and really this entire Bengals wide receiver room. Tyler Boyd is actually considered day-to-day, quote-unquote, could miss a week or two per NFL Network's Tom Pelissero with that dislocated finger. T. Higgins, on the other hand, also considered day-to-day. Thanks a lot, Zach Taylor, with these details here. With the hamstring injury, this is where it gets interesting, though, and shout-out to uh, underdog and uh, underdog fans. He's Hayden Winks. Uh, he was a guy I saw tweet this, but apparently in the Bengals game, the TV sideline reporter said that Higgins was available but may not play much due to a hamstring injury, and that was the coach's decision. 
Remember, he was left off the final injury report after two limited practices. So this shows us that T. Higgins apparently can go into the game and then just not have his usual role. And we're not going to have any idea what's going on based on the injury report. So that makes things really tough for us to get back and trust him. I tried to rank when I was, uh, you know, actually, no, I, I cowered out like a fool, Nate. I just didn't leave him in the rankings. I didn't know what the hell to do with T. Higgins if he is going to be able to play this week. I mean, I think I put him around that Donovan Peoples-Jones, Gabriel Davis kind of wide receiver 30 range because that's what he is. He's a boomer buzz player with this sort of possible low snap outcome. Do you have any amount of faith in Higgins having his usual role of healthy enough to suit up this week? Um, it'll completely depend on what I see. I know we can't really trust the injury report, but I will trust the practice reports to see if he's limited at all. If he's not limited, if he's a full participant in practice all week, then I'll feel pretty comfortable starting him, having him pretty high up my rankings. But if we start seeing these limited practices again, or even worse, it did not participate in practice, then I'll definitely consider taking him out or having him much lower. Limited all week is how I would then rank him around those guys. If he does get a full at the end of the week, that would certainly warrant a decent jump. Maybe Zach Taylor comes out on Friday and says, yeah, he's feeling better. He'll be back to his usual workload. Things like that could certainly get him right back into the top 20, top 15, where he spent the majority of this season. Really going to be one of the more important situations to watch. If Higgins and Boyd are sidelined, Nate, do you have any thoughts on, you know, Irwin or Trent Taylor or any of these other guys? I think more than anything, it should just end up being the Jamar Chase show. Uh, yeah, it's Irwin would be the guy on the outside if Higgins is out. Taylor would be the guy in the slot if Boyd is out. Um, Hayden Hurst plays into this as well. That if like all of these guys are out, then I must Trenton Irwin would probably be the guy that I'd at least consider picking up just because there's only so many targets that can go to Jamar Chase. <laughs> but as long as one of these guys is healthy, I might even have one of those guys even higher than usual if they only have two healthy typical receivers. It does sound like Hayden Hurst, who you mentioned, will probably be out this week. Again, Taylor called Higgins, and boy, day-to-day, Hurst got the week-to-week, uh, you know, a definition there from Zach Taylor. So again, Zach, just thank you, man, so much for all this hard-hitting injury analysis. Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore, another considered, another guy considered day-to-day with that knee sprain. So yeah, just one of those things where, you know, we probably trusted Darnold a little bit too much, but when you got a 13-14 game sample size that says Moore can be, you know, this low-M wide receiver too, wide receiver three uh it was a situation where i don't think the process was all wrong for going with more last week that said now dealing with this hamstring injury certainly not going to be someone that we're going to have a ton of confidence in which is a shame at nate because we have a very burnable pittsburgh steelers secondary on the other side of the ball so if we have DJ Moore able to practice fine, this knee ends up not being an issue. Okay, I do think you can put him in. And it's just a coincidence I keep coming back to this range. But he does get in that wide receiver three boomer bust spot right there next to DPJ and Gabriel Davis. But man, again, if we have guys going into Sunday as questionable, especially now we have three Saturday Saturday games this week. So there's a good chance that we're going to have some tough lineup decisions to make, you know, on Friday and Saturday going to the weekend. Any of these guys, Higgins, DJ Moore, you know, and they're limited throughout the entire week, or God forbid, they're still questionable going into the weekend. Close start decisions might be common sense. Pick the healthy guy. Great day to be great. Wide receiver Devontae Parker with the Patriots had to leave on Monday due to a head injury. Again, not exactly a passing game. We've seen have a ton of uh, you know production throughout the year, but Parker, if he's out, and then also Jacoby Myers still sidelined with that concussion, would there be any Patriots wide receivers, Nate, that you would be down to roster for the stretch run? 
probably not just because they like spreading the ball out so much. It was all of their wide receivers, all of their tight ends, all just seeing three to four to five targets each. And I think they'll continue to do that. It's hard to see one of these guys having a boom game. It could be any of them that have the boom game, but they'll all have decent sized floors if you're in really large leagues. Richie James, the latest Giants receiver to be injured in some way, shape, or form. He is in the concussion protocol. Also have Hunter Renfro trending towards being designated to return from IR this week with his oblique injury. Whether that means he plays, whether that means he's limited, remains to be seen, but just realize he could be back here for the final few weeks of the year. I think a similar sentiment could be true for Darren Waller, but I have not heard much from him recently. Final point here, guys, is uh, Corey Davis actually in the concussion protocol as well. Now, we've seen Corey consistently have that starting job but nate if we take Corey davis out of the picture i can't believe i'm uttering these words again in the year 2022 maybe elijah moore is back on the radar i mean it's a fantastic matchup here against a lions defense that we've actually seen improve a bit against the opposing rushing attacks which hey great that means we could have mike white throwing the ball potentially even more than usual against this group where would elijah moore end up falling you think if we do get Corey davis ruled out um, we could see him close to that wide receiver three range. I do think Denzel Mims would see all of the increase in playing time, which he's done throughout the last uh, couple of weeks whenever Corey Davis has been out. So I do think Elijah will see, or I think Denzel will see most of the snaps, but we've also consistently seen Denzel not see that many targets. So I think Denzel being on the field a lot will still mean more targets to go around for everyone else. So I do still think it's a boost for Elijah, just not, as much of a boost as we could hope for. I hate when you give me like sound rational logic to get rid of my irrational hope that maybe Elijah Moore or whoever else could actually get going. But good note there. That's kind of what I'm thinking, that wide receiver four range with guys like Michael Gallup, you know, Matt Collins, Jahan Dotson, just basically, you know, your wide receiver two in an offense that, yeah, sometimes we see a boom, but it is still going to be a little bit of a potential volume issue given what you said about Mims and the other relevant pass catchers in the offense. Uh, the Cowboys signed T.Y. Hilton rather hilariously not not OBJ, but maybe T.Y. can do something. And the Bills got Cole Beasley back in the building. Never forget his era with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Don't believe either of those. You're going to be making too much of an impact down the stretch. I will say, I guess the one thing with Beasley, Nate, not that he's going to be anything here from a, from a fantasy perspective, but would you be shocked if Beasley ends up taking away, you know, maybe half of Isaiah McKenzie's routes in the slot? Because that's what they were doing at the end of last year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Or even Isaiah McKenzie has been just so much of a borderline potential fantasy player all season anyway that even losing a fourth of his routes is a big deal for him. And similarly in Dallas, I could see Hilton taking away at least a little bit from Gallup. We already saw James Washington this past week um, start to play into Dallas's wide receiver rotation a little bit more, which was bad news for both Noah Brown and Michael Gallup. So throwing in just another wide receiver in there makes it even harder to trust Gallup in starting lineups. And even before kind of factoring this news into it, my first run at the rankings had Gallup wide receiver 43 and McKenzie wide receiver 49. So guys, you probably weren't going to be having in the starting lineup in the first place, but certainly not looking like they're going to get a big time playoff boom. All right, guys, let's go through these quarterback situations and then get out of here. 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy again on this Thursday night. Short turnaround is dealing with oblique and ribs injuries. However, head coach Kyle Shanahan called him day to day. So we'll see what happens. I believe he was listed as limited on the Monday uh, practice participation report. So honestly, Nate, I was nervous about what was going to happen at Purdy and the guy go down the QB four here. But Josh Johnson, who they signed a couple weeks ago, I mean, I'm not sure if you could pick a better QB four in the NFL at this point in time. Last 
last year. People forget he threw for 300 yards with both the Jets and the Ravens in his only two extended appearances last season. I mean, I don't want to be a prisoner of Josh Johnson, just the era and him being a former spring league quarterback. We all know I'm biased towards, you know, our former AAF and XFL USFL superstars out there. But Nate, honestly, if it goes from Purdy to Josh Johnson, I'm not sure I really adjust any of the skill position players rankings. Oh uh, yeah, probably not too much. Like I think it hurts the offense in general, not having Debo out there since that's a really quarterback friendly option to throw to, but at least he's still McCaffrey there. So as long as, they're throwing passes to McCaffrey rather than handing off to McCaffrey. I think that's probably the biggest thing for the 49ers quarterbacks. Mentioned before in our conversation about Mike White, but he did say he's ready to roll ahead of week 15's matchup against the Lions. So yeah, perhaps pain tolerance. Perhaps you are playing through a painful rib injury and you're not able to play as well. We did see seemingly some signs of that with Justin Herbert earlier this season. But again, Lions, 31st ranked scoring defense. We know that Mike White is capable of getting the ball into plenty of playmakers' hands in this offense. I am not overly downgrading him because of the rib issue. We also have several guys in the concussion protocol. Steelers quarterback Kenny Pitt ticket did enter it i again i just if the protocol's goal is to not put concussed players back into the game which i think is a fantastic goal for the concussion protocol to have i still don't understand how the dude just ended up playing another drive didn't take any additional hits and then rolled out regardless i mean look it's honestly a similar thing with josh johnson and brock purdy if it's Pickett or if it's mitch trubisky as sad as this is i don't think it's too big of a difference for the skill position players what say you nate um, like if anything, it could help Deontay Johnson and hurt George Pickens just because the quarterbacks seem to have their favorite wide receiver targets. So we could see the target shift from one wide receiver to the other. Wild time to be alive indeed. We also have Tyler Huntley in the concussion protocol. Lamar Jackson still dealing with a knee injury. And ESPN's Adam Schefter did report that Jackson may not play again until Christmas Eve. So I believe the way, like the, it was a huge win for the Ravens last week in terms of their chances to make the playoffs. So just looking at, you know, them being in Cleveland this week, I believe I saw they still have a 98% chance to make the playoffs with, a, with or without a win this week. So I don't think there's much of a need to get Lamar out there. It does sound pretty good for Huntley, though. I mean, Ravens coach. John Harbaugh said that Huntley seems good to me and then even noted that the backup quarterback is able to recite the months of the years backwards, Nate. Wow. That's actually something, a funny story. When I got concussed in a game in uh, my senior year of high school, I was sitting on the table trying to pass the concussion test to come back in. They asked me to uh, count backwards from 100 by 7. And I got like into the 30s or 40s before I messed up. And the trainer was kind of like, huh? And then like another injured guy, teammate next to me was like, I can't even do that. And I hurt my knee, not my helmet, so not my head. So yeah, you uh, you get these weird tests that you never would uh, really think you're doing otherwise when you get concussed. Uh, I don't know. It seems a little counterproductive to me but i guess you got to find out how the brain is working so it looks like huntley is going to be good out there if not though anthony brown will be under center if anthony brown's out there i mean that's going to make life really tough to trust anybody involved but that said it's mark andrews who hasn't done anything for us nate but it's just again i've been saying this a lot he's a go, go down with the ship player it's mark andrews i i don't have much else for you guys it has been unfortunate we can talk about if he's fully healthy and some of the issues going on there but you seen the tight end position so yeah maybe if you have a Dalton Schultz or if you have a David Njoku then you could potentially warrant sitting Andrews but just going to be pretty tough to do otherwise what are your thoughts on Huntley though Nate because we did see him before he got injured show us that rushing volume that we basically were hoping to see in the absence of Lamar Jackson again my first kind of run at the rankings I have Huntley where I did last week as QB 15 Huntley versus guys like Brady Rogers Carr Ryan how are you feeling 
Yeah, I feel like he's right there in the mix. I think it's a conversation where in most redraft leagues, probably not considering him because ideally you have someone else that you can put in there or there's someone better on the waiver wire like Mike White. But if you're looking at super flex leagues, then you're definitely starting him. So I think it just depends on the league if you're even considering him. And like you said, Mark Andrews, I would trust him regardless of the quarterback. I moved him down a good 20 spots in my rest of the season rankings, and he was still tight end too. So. <laughs> That's about how it goes. That's Yes, yeah, more so the uh, positional rankings going to hang, but I certainly don't blame anyone for nosediving him down the overall ranks, as you just did. Uh, Falcons quarterback Marcus Mariota, similar thing that happened with Matt Ryan getting benched for Sam Ellinger, where they're like, hey, we're going with the backup, and by the way, Marcus Mariota, Mark, Matt Ryan before they're hurt, but this injury didn't have anything to do with the choice. So I, I don't, I don't know, but Mariota apparently like isn't even expected to be with the team the rest of the season. So it certainly does sound like it is Desmond Ritter's job for now. And when you do look at him as a prospect, I mean, it's kind of ironic because I, I think I saw the PFF draft guide actually comped him to Marcus Mariota. And if they didn't, you kind of see it in terms of their athleticism. I mean, Ritter ran a 4.5 40 yard dash, you know, they're very similar size. And I honestly think if you watch, Ritter at Cincy and you see kind of some of the uh, things you know people smarter about evaluating quarterbacks than myself say about the guy it does seem to be more of like a processing speed issue at times he can go out there and make a lot of plays as did Marcus Mariota all the time at Oregon back in the day but at the end of the day man you don't see him exactly looking to run all the time. He ran less, not more, as his collegiate career progressed. And, man, when they, I, I do my rankings of every single incoming quarterback uh, every single offseason, trying to get an idea of what they can bring to the table as a rusher. And just in terms of even him versus Sam Howell and Matt Corral, and especially Malik Willis, didn't see anything close to the same sort of wiggle. So, hey, 43.6 rushing yards per game in college career. I mean, that is a lot. And that's also with collegiate stats dinging your rushing yards when you do take a sack out there. So thoughts on Desmond Ritter. I honestly think this could be a situation where you cross out Mariota's name and you don't put Ritter that much further down than you would have had Mariota to begin with. That said, we weren't exactly lining up to start Mariota in the first place inside the NFL's most run-heavy offense. Oh, uh, yeah. Like putting him a little bit further down the rankings, but not too much, but definitely like D depending on the league size, how big your bench is, I wouldn't mind picking him up just to see if he ends up being someone who's better than Marcus, just in case he is someone with that rushing upside that could be a quarterback one. And there's only so few players that we know very little about at this point in the season. So if you know there's a guy on your bench that you're not going to start over the next three weeks, feel free to cut him and pick up someone just on the 5% chance that he ends up being really good. We don't know he sucks. We don't know he sucks. We don't know if he's going to be great, but we also don't know if he sucks. That's a lot more you can say about a lot of these quarterbacks out here relative to needing to be a top 20 basically person at your job like i'm really thankful nate that like we don't have a job like professional quarterbacks do i mean can you imagine that like if you're the 25th best person on the planet at your job like the entire world mostly just thinks you're a bomb and like you can't even play and do your job well tough life for nfl quarterbacks but i'm sure you know they can wipe those tears away with all that sweet sweet cash they usually get for doing their jobs final two here again just uh this one hurt man but cardinals quarterback kyla murray with that non-contact knee I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at any moment if we get clarification. Okay, yeah, there it goes. One minute ago, I suspected Kyler has torn ACL done for the 2022 season. Absolutely sucks. So we're going to have Colt McCoy under center for the stretch run against the Broncos, Buccaneers, Falcons, and 49ers. Colt McCoy, three extended appearances. He's moved the ball 
I think better than maybe people would expect. You know, he's had over 200 passing yards in all these games, which in the year 2022 isn't a given with some of these quarterbacks we've seen out there. That said, just one passing touchdown in that stretch. Took six sacks yesterday. I'm not so sure we're going to see an upper-end performance. Again, still a very good Broncos defense. So having Colt McCoy under center, Nate, how far are you downgrading James Conner, DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown, if at all? Um, James Conner probably going to be okay just because a lot of these next couple matchups are against teams with losing records that are close to 500. I think they can stay competitive in games, so I think Conner can at least still see a decent amount of volume, but definitely hurts the wide receivers, especially as they're starting to get a little bit more healthy. So we're starting to get a little bit more competition for targets and snaps, which makes it harder for all of the wide receivers. So I think you're probably still starting most of them anyway, DeAndre Hopkins. Downgraded in the rankings, but you're still starting him. Marquise Brown, probably similar, still starting him. Rondell Moore, I'm a little more concerned about starting him once he's healthy after seeing Brown play in the slot last night, but that's probably where I'm at with the wide receivers. With Rondell, we don't even know. I mean, I don't even think he practiced last week, so it's not a given at all that he gets back for this matchup. And to your point, our worst dream is basically coming true now. Hey, it's week 15. This, I mean, I'm happy this didn't, I'm not happy. I mean, I wish we would have found out about it in week seven because that would have implied that all these guys are actually healthy and available enough to play that early. But yeah, it sounds like Cliff Kingsbury actually planning to go back to starting AJ Green over Rondale Moore. Like, uh, come on, man. Rondale was so good earlier this year. I, I don't get it, but yeah, can't start Rondale Moore. Uh, unfortunate. All right, final one, everybody. Appreciate you always sticking with us on another electric edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson is in the concussion protocol, and it just sucks, man, because that was probably the best football he's played all season, you know, and that, again, pretty fun to comeback attempt there they had against the Chiefs in a game that looked like it was as good as dead. You know, we got the Kelsey shot hanging out on the bench up 26 nothing, and yeah, the defense, you know, forcing those three interceptions from the home certainly played a factor, but Russell's going out there and looking more like Russ than he had pretty much all season long. So what really sucks is this week was not maybe a game where we'd be happy about playing anyone involved with Denver. When have we been happy about playing anyone involved with this offense all season? But they are facing a Cardinals defense that has now slipped even past the Lions, and they now rank dead last in points per game allowed this season. And that game will be in Denver as well. So if we do have Brett Ripien under center instead of Russell Wilson, thoughts on Jerry Judy, Greg Dolchitz, and the ramifications for this passing game? Probably still fine starting those two since with how Russell Wilson's been playing this season, it might not be a huge drop-off in quarterback production and against this defense, and especially at tight end, there's not many options, and Judy's been playing pretty well recently. So with all the other injuries at wide receiver as well, there's not much competition for touches in Denver. I'm not freaking out about the Judy three-touchdown performance. I mean, it's great to see. Don't get me wrong, but again, it's one of these things where we need to be a little bit careful when these guys have these huge weeks, you know, certain legends amongst us, like actual, like immortals, like Christian Watson. Okay. They can continue to have these huge games after another, but don't just assume because Judy had such a massive game that's guaranteed to keep happening. That said, I have him wide receiver 26 right now in my initial run of rankings. I would start him ahead of guys like Marquise Brown, sadly, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, DPJ, Gabe Davis. That sound reasonable enough to you, Nate? Oh yeah. That sounds about right. And with that, 
going to wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Nate and I will be back two more weeks again, trying to focus more so a little bit on you know some of these injuries in addition to the waiver wire. I know that the season's evolving and have a little bit less meat on the bone there with the waivers. So appreciate you guys tuning in with us all season long. And again, guys, go get that championship gold. But first, Nate, let the folks know you still got a loaded plate, man. I know it's week 15, but still plenty of articles that they can digest over at PFF.com. Uh, yeah, I think if you count all of my recap articles, since I published those both as individual as, as a full recap, I had 19 articles over a 35-hour stretch over <laughs> yesterday and Sunday, so that was fun. So I had all my recap articles that went up on Monday, top 10 recap that went up on Monday, waiver wires, if you want the full edition of all 20 or so players that I wrote about, that also went up Monday, as well as the Monday night recap. Today, I had five to add, five to drop, five to buy low in Dynasty, five to sell high in Dynasty, uh, five steps to take to win your fantasy championship, rest of season rankings, Dynasty rankings. Um, Tomorrow, I'll have my rankings for this upcoming week and then start set the day after that. Nate, the great Yankee King State Kings, my friend. Appreciate you. What are these five steps to propel your team to fantasy championship? We buried the league. All right, I'm just going to read them off real quick, uh, Nate. Number one, you guys can get the details at pff.com. We call this a teaser in the big business. Uh, Number one, figure out your lineups for your next three weeks. Cut players with no shot at cracking your starting lineup. Good call there. Yeah, depth doesn't matter at this point. Just, you know, go get guys that are either going to be starting for you. And if you don't need them, man, go get a handcuff or something instead. Add players. You can improve your lineup at any point in the fantasy playoffs. Add high upside handcuffs, exactly, and keep up with all injury and player usage notes, which we just did for all you guys. So basically, just good extra bullets from Nate and more of his always great content. So I'll have my quarterback, running back, wide receiver, mismatch manifesto, you know, the sheesh report, all the usual stuff. You guys know how it goes here. So yeah, guys, three more weeks. Let's go win some championships. Always a great day to be great, especially when you can beat your friends and then have bragging rights on them for 12 whole freaking months. So for Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.